here's what I know beyond the shadow of a doubt. There are not a lot of absolute truths left in the world. But I'm going to tell you two right now. One is the Bible. It is absolute truth. Absolute truth. The other is the spicy chicken sandwich at Popeye's. It is just absolute. Now, hold on a minute. (laughs) Wait a second. You can't get that excited about Popeye's and not about the Bible. So, listen. The Bible at Popeye's uh, spicy chicken sandwich. Absolute truth. So good. Um, Let me just say. What you're going to hear tonight and what you're going to hear over this series is God's design and God's way uh, for relationships, uh, for marriage, for, for dating. Um, you know, culture tells you a whole lot of things. Culture is constantly speaking, um, especially here, like in the South. You know, for the longest time in the South, we were like, this is the Bible Belt, the Bible Belt. And it was like this staunch thing. And so it's all about what you can't do versus what you get to do, which is love Jesus and love his people. And for a long time, um, the church was known for what we're against instead of what we're for. And so I just want to tell you a couple of things right now. You are going to hear some things that are going to um, come at a hard, like two trains meeting. And it's going to feel like a collision between what the Bible says and what culture says. But that's okay. That's okay. The other thing that I'm going to tell you to do, I believe this is a three-week series or a four-week series, is don't just take our word for it. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Pastor Jared's word for it. In fact, I would, I would just encourage you to go, you know what, don't ever just take anybody at their word. It needs to line up with the word of God. And if you don't know what the word of God says, then you need to find that. And you stand on that. And if that's what, and if, if culture tells you something different than what the Bible says, then the culture is wrong. Okay? And the Bible is right. And so what we want to do is we're going to start from the very beginning. Because really what we want you to do is we want you to do this the right way. Listen, let me just ask you a question. And let's just get real. Look, we're going to get real in the house today. If you've ever been hurt in a relationship before, a dating relationship before, let me see your hand go up. Hey, listen, if your hand isn't raised, it's because you've been single your whole life. Okay, now listen, watch. I want to show you something. My wife is in the room. My wife is in the room. And we've been married this year in December will be 15 years. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) we've been married for this December will be 15 years. I know what you're thinking. My goodness, you look awfully young to be married for 15 years. Well, that's because she makes it really, really easy. Oh. <laughs> but let me just say, let me just say this too. Let me just say this too. Um, I just ask you that about dating relationships, if you've ever been hurt. If you were to bring my wife up here and you were to ask her, hey, has Josh ever hurt you? She would have to tell you yes. She'd have to tell you yes. Look, when you get married, you don't run away from hurt. Hurt happens. Now listen, I'm not talking about physical abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm telling you there are things that when you know somebody the way that I know my wife and when somebody knows me the way that my wife knows me, then the humanity inside of you that's broken 
can sometimes hurt. Hurt people hurt people. That's the bottom line. So the whole, the whole idea behind this series is, listen, I would love to tell you, if you do this God's way, if you do this God's way, then you will never, don't be listening to me, Siri. If you do this God's way, then here's what will happen. You can control what you can control. You can't control what the other person does, but you can always control what you do. So I wanna, the last thing I want to say, and then we're going to jump into this thing. There is no condemnation tonight. Because I raised, you, I raised my hand. I want you to know that not only have I been hurt, but I've hurt. I want you to know that I haven't always done this God's way. But God wasn't finished with me. And if you've done something that's outside of God's design, I want you to know that he's not finished with you. Okay? So there's no shame tonight. What we do want to do is we want to, get the, the, we want to bring light to this so that God can touch us and heal us. So I want to start off by reading in Genesis. This is in the very beginning, Genesis 2. And we're going to read for a minute, so hang with me. The Lord God took the man... And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded him. He said this, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of that, you will certainly die. The Lord said, and this is important, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord uh, looked all around, uh, excuse me, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man uh, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made uh, a woman from the rib. He had taken out of that man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, now this is so cool to me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she, ha- she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And as his wife, uh, and Adam and his wife were both naked, um, and they felt no shame. That's so important. I want to say that one more time. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want you to understand this from the very, very beginning. From the very beginning, God knew that it would not be good for you to be alone. From my experience in my life, the worst moments that I've ever had in my life, my lowest lows, my darkest thoughts about me, when I felt the most insecure in my life, it was when I was alone. The more I isolate myself, the more that I feel uh, uh, just down, the more I feel lonely, the lonelier I, the lonelier I feel, the more devalued I have felt. Now listen, all of this changed whenever I gave my life to Christ, but I knew I still didn't want to be alone. But here's the thing that I want you to understand, that even from the very beginning, God knew that it wasn't good for you to be alone. Some some people are just brilliant when they're alone, and they're mostly women. Because dudes get alone, and then they start figuring out what a hairspray and a match can do. 
got a little scar on my neck. Can't tell you that story because it's too dangerous and I'm too scared there's dudes out here that are so stupid that you do the same stupid things that I did. All right? But that's what happens when you're alone. You're going to be, I wonder what would happen if. Right? But those are also the moments where you go, I remember what they said about me. And I'm no, there's no way I'll ever be good enough for anybody to love me like that. These are, this is what happens. It's not good for us to be alone. God knew it. So he created us as relational people. I can prove it to you. How many, <clears throat> how many of you woke up this morning and you were like, yo, I hope everybody hates me and nobody talks to me? <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Nobody does that. You know why? Because actually what you did was is you got dressed. You brushed your mouth. Listen, I got to say this. I remember uh, being a young dude, and the first time I was very much aware of the opposite sex, things changed in my life. I started carrying myself a little different. I started brushing my teeth once a day, regardless of if they needed it or not. It was fantastic. I started showering. My, my mother was so thankful. I was the stinky kid growing up. But I was like, no, no, no. Listen, we're going to be about this. As I got older, things got changed a little bit more. I, I got me a job, okay? It's like I wanted some money in my pocket because I wanted to buy nice clothes. After that, I always kept dentine ice in my pocket. And you know what? I can prove this to you. I keep these with me all the time because I don't want stank bread. <laughs> Listen, you find me at any time. I just told Patrick Jared, I was like, look, man, you just put a couple of these in your pocket. You know I love you. I just want to help you out in the future and all the days of your life. Okay? And he didn't even have bad breath. I'm just looking out for him. You know, you never know. You never know. So listen, every single one of you came here today, you're trying to meet somebody. Now, you might have found somebody. But those of you that hadn't, you're trying to meet somebody. I know why you come to church. It's the best place to find somebody, baby. I'm just going to let you know. Listen, and listen, if you're looking for somebody, don't look for somebody that worships like this. You look for somebody that worships like this. <laughs> <laughs> you, listen, you don't want to look for somebody all staunch. You look for somebody like, come on, Jesus. Listen, you look for somebody that's passionate. Let me tell you something. I, <laughs> listen, I'm just, I'm just messing. You, you want to find somebody, though, that shares something that you have. You want to find somebody that shares something that you have as a love for Jesus. Okay, listen, that's a whole other part of this. Listen, I'm trying to meet somebody. So listen, I, I want you to understand, I remember, I remember that, like I said, early on, uh, noticing the opposite sex and realizing that those girlies went from having cooties to cuties. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all remember. But listen, this is what Adam says. Adam didn't have to go through any of that. Adam, what, Adam was created. And from create, the time that he was created, he was put in the garden to work. And from the time that he was put into work, he was told to name all of these things. So he starts naming all of these things, all the birds of the field, all the beasts of the air, all these other things. And then all of a sudden, God goes, there's nothing suitable here. So he goes, hey, go to sleep. Here's Eve. And he says these words. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Let me say it another way. You were a part of me. And you will always be a part of me. See, God, God created 
Adam and Eve and relationship for you, not on accident, but absolutely intentional so that you understand that this is not something that's all, you know, whatever. No, this is something that is absolutely important and intentional for your life because they are going to be a part of you and you will be a part of them. This is why a man would leave his mother and cleave into his wife. You will always be a part, man, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is intimate. This is important. This is not anything that's just easygoing. No, this matters. This is the, the, the design that God has. And he didn't have to go through a lot of hurts and a lot of pains and all of these other things because he walked into God's design. Now, listen, you don't have the same luxury that Adam did. Adam wasn't born as a baby. Eve wasn't born as a baby. Look, this is just right here in the beginning. It's strong. It's intimate. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. You will always be a part of me. And this dude ain't even had sex yet. It's just about to get good. I'm just telling you. He don't even know. You don't even know. I was jumping ahead. Let me get back here. The first one here. <laughs> the first thing, God's purpose here, was companionship. Listen, again, it's not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. I want to let you in on a little secret. I am a better man. I am a better follower of Jesus. I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better leader, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better everything because of my wife. I'll let you in on another secret. Pastor Jared is a better friend, he's a better follower of Jesus, he's a better husband, he's a better dad, he's a better leader because of Haley Darby. Now listen, I've known Jared a long time. He's a lot better than he was. <laughs> but I've known Haley for a long, long time. I've known Haley since she was in seventh grade. I was her youth pastor. Haley is a better follower of Jesus. She is a better wife. She is a better mom. She is a better leader. She is a better friend because of Jared. Guys, what happens in companionship is not just attraction. What happens in a companionship isn't just that we enjoy hanging out. It's not just Netflix and chill. No. It's challenging one another. It's bringing the best out of one another. It's confronting each other. Whenever you're down, they pick you up. They love you at your best. They love you at your worst. See, what happens in culture is, is we love you until we don't love you. Because you annoyed us and we're done with you. And that's never been God's design. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. It's different. It's different. We're not trying to do what feels good to us. Love is not that. Love is a decision that we make. In companionship and marriage that goes even, even when it hurts. And in marriage it can hurt. In fact, I will tell you in the 15 years, there is 
been so much joy. We have four kids, 15 years of a rich and strong marriage. But I promise you this, you could bring that woman up there, up here right now, and she would look at you and go, I've seen him at his worst. Guys, I know y'all see the Sunday morning. I know y'all see this dude up here. And for some of you, I've known you for a really long time. I promise you, she's loved me at my worst. You got to find somebody in companionship. This is what it looks like. They don't just make you better. They love you at your worst and they build you. That's what companionship is. It's more than camaraderie. It's more than enjoying each other. It's somebody that won't give up on you. That will love you the way that Jesus loved you. It's not conditional. It's it's not a conditional thing. The second one. Procreation. Y'all love that one, right? Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. Here's the deal. God had to create Eve because multiplication was and is his plan. The plan is to multiply not just humanity but also Christianity in the same way that he designed us to multiply uh, through Christian marriages and marriages and like this, we are going to multiply Christianity over and over and over again. It's the same way in the Great Commission that he goes, no, 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 multiply what has happened in your life. Go into all the world. Teach them my ways. Baptize them um, and, and do these things. Like Go into the world. Multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. Multiplication has always been God's design. Always been God's design. Now, this is important. Here's what I want you to hear about procreation. And again, I want you to hear me, um, and I want you to understand that there's no shame in the room, no condemnation. But God is a God of order. God is a God of order. He has a, an order and a design to everything. Here is the order that I want you to pay attention to. Adam and Eve in the garden bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage. That happened first. This is why a man, in verse 24, leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. After marriage, they become one flesh. That's talking about sex. God's desire is for you to become one with one person. Sex and procreation happen after marriage. This is God's design. Here's what I want to do. Really fast. Because there's a whole bunch of people in the room right now. And you're hurting. And it's not because I'm telling you something you don't know. It's because I'm telling you something that you know. And the enemy, had, whatever has done, whatever has happened, has been holding on to a mistake that you've made. Has, is holding on to decisions that you've made with somebody in the past. And he's trying to make this the definition of your life. You can never be because you did this. And I want to let you know right now. Um, gosh, every time. I'm the biggest hypocrite in the room. I'm the chief of sinners. Whenever I was, uh, there was one other relationship before I was married. And I was preaching at a college night in Sterling, Alabama. I was 20 years old. And I was preaching. People gave their life to Jesus. And I left and went and had sex with my girlfriend. Biggest hypocrite in the room. 
biggest hypocrite in the room. But I want to let you know, and I want to remind you, that you are not your mistake, that the cross has the final word, that you have been redeemed of your sin, that you are forgiven. Now, listen. God can't heal what you conceal. So the more that you hold on to your mistake and you don't bring it into the light, the more that you will hurt and the more that the devil will have shame. What happened to me after that is I remember driving back to my hometown and I'm crossing over this bridge. If you've ever been up Highway 43 and you're driving, if you know where Jackson, Alabama is, I was going across the Tom Bigby Bridge, okay? Driving across the Tom Bigby Bridge and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. He said, Josh, go tell Todd what you did. Todd was my pastor. And I had a choice right then. I could hide and I could, and I could continue to keep my sin covered. And I could live a lie. Or I could make myself accountable so that I could have freedom. We go to Jesus for forgiveness and we go to people for healing. That's the word I can show it to you. I brought that to my pastor. He, oh my gosh, loved me all the way through it in the same way Christ did. And there's a whole bunch of you in the room right now. And you've been dealing with shame. And we like to categorize sexual sin because this one's worse and this one's worse than the other one and this one's worse than the other. Sexual sin, sexual sin, guys. And Jesus died for all of it. And his blood is strong enough to forgive you for every single bit of it. So wherever you've been, whatever you've done, that's not, I just choose to believe that that is not who you are because if it was who you are, you wouldn't be feeling the way that you feel, you're feeling. And that's not condemned. That's very much, man, I need to give this to Jesus. And he wants to heal you from it today. See, here's the thing about the devil. God creates something beautiful. And the devil wants to pervert it. God creates something and the devil perverts it. God creates joy the devil perverts it and he sells you on happiness. Well, if you get a house and a car and a wife and two kids, that's enough. No, no, no. Joy is not a conditional thing. You can have joy wherever you are in whatever circumstance and situation. It is literally a fruit of having God in your life. God creates sex and the enemy perverts it. From that, there comes all types of sexual sin. There comes rape. There comes pornography. There comes pedophiles. There's all of these different things. God creates something beautiful, and the devil perverts it. And what happens is, is he tries to sell us on something that God never would give us. But because it's similar, we buy in. And it's not because you're bad. It's just because we didn't, some of you just didn't know what the Word of God says. You need to find that out, and you need to stand on it. But here's the thing. Look, God creates, the devil perverts. The best news is, is again, that Jesus died. So for everything that the devil tries to ruin that God creates, look, and that includes you. God created you. And from the very moment that you were born, you were born into a sinful nature. But everything that he's tried to pervert in you and about you, God has come to, he sent his son Jesus to redeem you. See, this is the thing that culture tells us. The, de the devil has done this. God created something beautiful. The devil perverts it. God created something sacred, and the devil makes it something casual. I was talking to this guy, and I, I literally just asked him the question. 
hey, what do you think, what do you think God's design for uh, relationships are? And the dude doesn't know Jesus at all. And the way he started talking about it, the best way that I could explain it is like this. Okay? It was so casual. Have you guys seen this uh, commercial? It's, it's this car buying commercial. And it's this dude. He's like, well, what do you want? He's like, I want a red. And it's all these cars and they're going by. Four door. And it's like with leather seats. And then the next thing you know, he's got to have seat warmers and coolers. And then this is it. And there's your car. And that's exactly, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out if I, this was literally a conversation. I'm trying to figure out if I like blondes or brunettes. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I've heard redheads are fun. This was a real thing. This was a real conversation. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody. This was a real thing. Real conversation. And I'm sitting here talking about, like, when did we start talking about people like they're objects? And then the worst part of that is, is when did, when did we as men and women start putting on such a facade that we are trying to be something that we're not to please somebody that we don't even know if they'll be with us for eternity? We're, we're still on this side until death do us part, and we're acting like dating is so casual. We don't even want to put a label on it. I'm just, I'm just saying, God's design for marriage... And for relationship was never casual. It was committed. Committed, not casual. Committed, not casual. In fact, let me just say this. The people who are okay in casual relationships are more than likely the ones that don't understand their worth. You are valuable. You are valuable. Let me tell you how valuable you are. You're so valuable that Jesus died for you. Listen, sex and relationships are not casual. There are emotional ties. There are physical ties. There are spiritual ties that tie you to the relationships that you will have. And your decisions that you make through those, whether they're committed or casual, are so important. The decisions that you make today, I remember when Faithy and I started dating. Look, we were not in a casual relationship at all. I would go to her dorm room at the end of every night that we would talk. And I would grab her by the hands and I would say, Jesus, if this relationship is not of you, then crush it. And let me tell you something. She was on the other end of that going, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Because we didn't want something that the devil perverted. We wanted everything that God wanted in our relationship. We want every bit of that. We also made this little statement right here. Hey, you know what we won't do? When things get tough, break up. In fact, let me tell you something, great girl. I know you're way too good for me, but if you break up with me, I don't play that game. Because what you're telling me is, is when we get married and things get rough, you're going to go to your mama's house, you're going to divorce me, and we ain't setting that precedent either. We are committed. We are standing strong that we're in this, that we're in this. We want to do it God's way. Let me tell you something. She thought that was her idea. It was mine. (laughs) I want to close you with this. The relationships that God wants you to have mirror the ones that Jesus has with the church. Let me explain it to you like this. Because I really want you to hear how valuable you are. And if there's anybody back there who can play keys, come on. Here's what I want you to understand. The relationship that 
God wants you to have is one of companionship that challenges you, that's strength, that just makes you so much stronger. It's committed. It's a, a relationship that multiplies. Listen, I can't tell you how many people have found Jesus because of our marriage. I can't tell you how many people have found healing because of our story. But we didn't just multiply because we had four kids. We're multiplying people because they're finding Jesus. God wants to do something in the relationships that you have. He wants to do something through you. But that means you have to find one that mirrors the way that Jesus loves his church. Let me explain it to you like this. The Bible talks about the church as a bride. And they talk about Jesus. It talks about Jesus as the bridegroom. He is our groom. We are his bride. Jesus was in heaven. Perfect. He came here. And he came to earth. He wrapped himself in skin. 100% God, 100% man. He walked through every emotion that you could walk through. Walked through temptation, walked through trial, walked through the hardest times. Understand what hard work is. He was a, uh, he was a, a carpenter. He had low lows. Even to the point where he would sweat drops of blood. That's a literal condition that is, it just comes from overwhelm. There were times that he was tired. There was deception, manipulation that happened to him. One of his 12 turned his back on him. He goes to a cross. He was committed. I was like, yeah, all right. (laughs) He was committed. Guys, I want you to understand that there's there's this thought out there that Jesus had to do this because this was Jesus's job. This was not Jesus's job. This was love. It wasn't a responsibility that drove Jesus to die on a cross. It was love. It was committed. Hey, Piper, I'm going to need some house lights just a little bit, please, whenever you can. I need to see some people. Because I feel like there's going to be some decisions made here right now. There's a bunch of you right here. So here's what I want you to understand. There's this thief on a cross that's next to Jesus. Guilty. Here's Jesus, innocent. Thief on the cross, guilty. Guilty. They start having this conversation, and basically he understands, this thief understands that, hey, this is the Christ. He goes, Jesus, can I know you? Can I be with you? And he said, this day you'll be in eternity with me. And here's this moment in time where this dude has no opportunity to do a single good deed. He can't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. He can't go and get baptized. He can't go serve in a church. He can't get into a small group. He can't do any of those things and hear Jesus and he goes, it's on this day that I will meet you in eternity and he will inherit paradise. It's this proof that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're guilty 
The cross has the final word. The shame that you're wearing on this cross, you will not wear in eternity because I am saving you, forgiving you, redeeming you. And there was nothing. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't earn it. There was nothing he could do to make Jesus love him anymore. There was nothing he could do to make Jesus love him any less. There's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you any more than he loves you right now. And there's nothing that you can do to make Jesus love you any less than he loves you right now. He is in a committed relationship, in love with you so much that it drove him to a cross. Because he didn't just want you to be distant from him. He wanted you to be close to him. He wanted you to love him in the same way that he loves you. Committed. His love is perfect. Ours isn't. He knows it. But he wants us to love him back. Here's your opportunity. All across the room. With every head bowed and every eye closed.